With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to the Daily Red, your lunchtime catch-up on all things Liverpool FC on a Friday the day before Liverpool travel to the city ground to take on Nottingham Forest in the Premier League in what we can only refer to now as the Stan Collymore Derby. Uh, if the sound on this is weird, I am recording myself as Guy's internet has crapped out. So apologies in advance. I am doing my very best. I'm just not very good with this side of things. That is more Mr. Drinkle's bag of tricks. Anyway, Liverpool versus Forest. Liverpool having won back-to-back games, seeking their first away win in the Premier League. Forest, bottom of the table, one win all season, struggling to score goals, struggling to keep them out, playing people like Steve Cook. This is a game Liverpool must win. There is no middle ground on this one. Liverpool have to win this game. It's the only acceptable result. A win here... Given who Newcastle and Manchester United have to play this weekend, could see Liverpool end the weekend in fifth position. And considering they were 12th going into the Manchester City game last Sunday, that would be a hell of a turnaround in seven days. Forrest got themselves a draw away to Brighton during the week. That was a solid result for them. They went almost entirely to spoil the game, and it worked for them. But Brighton, as we know, struggled to score goals themselves. If Forrest play the way they did in that game against us, they will get slapped around. They will get absolutely battered if they're willing to cede territory and possession as much as they were in that game. We will open them up. Now, they have a number of players out injured, important players. Renan Lodi, he's injured. That's a big blow for them. Now, there is a small chance he's available, but it's looking very unlikely. Omar Richards is out. Harry Tofolo also, or Toffolo, also has a knock, which likely means Nico Williams, former Red, will have to play as a left-back up against Mo or Harvey, depending on how Klopp lines us up. And I'm guessing Serge Aurier plays right back, which isn't ideal for anybody. They're missing 
Jack Colback, though he's not very good. Lewis O'Brien, who is a good player. And Musa Niakate, who is a really good centre-back. So they're missing key players. That adds to our favour. We're also missing players, though. It must be said, obviously, Diaz and Jota. Everybody's aware of recent injuries. Matip out for another couple of weeks. Nabi Keita is back in team training, but probably still a week, maybe two weeks away. Ibu, I think they're hoping to have back for Ajax, not for this one. Darwin should be okay to play, and obviously Arthur doesn't exist. Uh, what we saw against Napoli was merely a trick of the light. Um, no excuse not to win this game. None. Myself and Carol have done scouted on this game, and I believe there is a rival recon also done for this game, so do ensure you check both of those out. On This Is Anfield today, Jack Lusby has decided that people shouldn't have fun, and he has uh, put together a piece which dismisses the claim that Darwin Nunes broke the highest recorded speed ever in Premier League history. Uh, Kyle Walker obviously holds that record. It was suggested that Darwin broke it, but he did not. Um, Opta have reported that the fastest recorded top speed in the Premier League this season was Darwin, but it was 36.5 kilometres per hour, and it was against Fulham, not against West Ham. Gabriel Martinelli second, Diogo Delo third, a little bit surprised by that one, Alan St-Maximin fourth, and Jack Stacey fifth, and that's a really surprising one. But yeah, Jack Lusby just spoiling the fun, but it's it's good that we have the truth now as to who the fastest player in the league is. Uh, Manchester City finally apologised for Hillsborough chance, but only in an email. Four days later, and conveniently after intervention from Jurgen Klopp, Manchester City have finally apologised for their fans' Hillsborough chance at Anfield. City are still clearly hurting from their 1-0 defeat to Liverpool on Sunday, but their handling of the fallout has been far from tasteful. It has been an absolute disgrace, if we're being honest. Throughout the Sky Sports broadcast of the game, and via several videos on social media, there were audible Hillsborough chants directed from a large group of away supporters. Liverpool condemned those chants immediately after the game, which also saw complaints from City of coins thrown at Pep Guardiola and an attack on their team bus, On though it was not until Tuesday that Merseyside Police received any report. That, of course, came after Merseyside Police issued a statement saying they hadn't received any word from Manchester City. City, of course, can't produce any evidence that the bus was attacked and the picture they put up to suggest was they'd nicked off the Autoglass website. Um, City, of course, used their time to leak their views that Jurgen Klopp was borderline xenophobic uh, in his comments about their finances to two journalists, won't name them, but both of them likely facing uh, a little bit of trouble at the moment. Um, It was not until Thursday after Hillsborough campaigner Charlotte Hennessy, whose father was unlawfully killed in the disaster, revealed an email apology from the club. 
if you don't follow Charlotte Hennessy, you should. It's at Charles Hennessy one, C H A R L Hennessy one, numerical. Uh, really good follow and does a lot for Hillsborough awareness. Um, so do make sure you're giving her a follow. Look, at least they've apologised. They didn't have the fortitude to do it publicly because they're so terribly worried that their mental midget fan base might turn on them. Um, I, I just, I find it shocking the way that City have handled this. Like, I've seen claims from their fans that they had coins thrown at them no one's provided any evidence. Nobody's shown they had any injuries. I've seen the claims that from Pep that he got coins thrown at him. Again, there's one video that shows something sailing from the crowd. Doesn't go anywhere near him. Um, but again, if things are being thrown, that is wrong. Obviously, that is wrong. We do condemn the throwing of coins and whatever else. But... I would bet that if anything was thrown to City fans, it was in response to those chants. Um, and there's been no evidence to suggest their bus was attacked. Like I said, there's a picture that they nicked off the Autoglass website. And all of those big coaches are fitted with dash cams and a multitude of cameras. So if something was thrown at the bus, again, fully condemn it, but they should have video evidence of said thing being thrown and the person who threw it. So we'll wait and see if anything like that comes up. Um, on the topic of video evidence, there is a video going round of a group of Liverpool fans um, knocking lumps out of a West Ham fan. Now, the video begins sort of midway through the confrontation with the West Ham fan trying to square up to what looks like a group of eight or nine, maybe a couple more teenage Liverpool fans, not men, young lads. Um, he's clearly said something because they're saying, say that again. Say it now. My guess would be he's made some sort of Hillsborough reference and that has caused the fans to react. Now, again, despite the fact that they're only young lads, it doesn't take eight or nine or more to jump one fella. So that part of it is wrong. And when he hits the ground, that's it. That's fight over. As soon as he hits the ground... and. Like, to be fair to him, he held his own for a couple of seconds, but the numbers just overwhelmed him. But as soon as he hit the ground, that should have been it. He got a dig. He got a, he got kicked a couple of times while he was still stood up. That should have been it. There's a couple of boots laid in while he's on the ground that are out of order, and then there's a horrendous kick in the face right at the very end of it. Now, it's in the forecourt of a petrol station, so I would imagine there will be cameras. So I would imagine we'll hear more about this. But I would ask, where were his mates? Like, as he's walking backwards, there's a bunch of West Ham fans with him. And they all seem to scarper. 
if he made comments about Hillsborough, he absolutely deserved a slap. But what happened was out of order. It goes too far. I'd love to see the full video from before to see what actually happened. I think the video that's been put out on Twitter has been clipped to just show as they come together rather than what led to it. Uh, I'd also question why somebody is video recording that and not stopping such an act from taking place. Um, I hope the young the young West Ham fan is, is fine and has no lasting damage. My assumption is he doesn't because we haven't heard anything. But the lads that kicked him on the ground and particularly the one that kicked him in the face as he was trying to get back up, they should probably face some fairly severe penalty for that. Like that's so far out of line. I don't really care what was said. You could very easily kill someone kicking them in the face like that. And we're not all that far removed from what happened to Sean Cox. And you would think that that sort of mob attacking one person would ring around the fan base and we'd be more aware that like that kind of carry-on can have serious consequences. Sean Cox's life altered forever and not in any kind of good way. And then the guys that attacked him are in prison. Like multiple lives ruined. The lives of his family changed forever because of the the type of care he now needs. All because he went to a football match. Like this, it's a football match. That's all it is. It's not anything bigger than that. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design T-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. And again, yes, the West Ham fan likely has invited this by saying something, but he hasn't invited this level. He's invited someone to give him a slap, maybe two slaps, but he hasn't invited this. A kick in the face when he's on the ground. It's just absolutely shocking. Like I said, something definitely happened before the video starts because you can hear a couple of female voices saying to him, just go home, just go home. They're scouse voices, so they're locals telling him just to get out of there, go away. So he's clearly caused some sort of commotion. But again, just don't kick people in the head when they're down. Don't kick them at all when they're down. Let them get back up. Give them another slap if you need to. But, you know, a slap. Not not anything more than that. Um, 
Anyway, Steven Gerrard has been sacked as Aston Villa manager after less than 12 months of the job. 40 games is what Steven lasted at uh, Aston Villa. And I think it's fair to say it was a pretty big disaster. Um, Appointed on the 11th of November by Christian Perslow, who he has remained friends with from when they were at Liverpool together. 40 games, 13 wins, 8 draws, 19 defeats, a 32.5 win percentage. He'd obviously done well at Rangers, but there's a lot of mitigating circumstances around what happened at Rangers. Number one, look at the amount of money he spent. He spent more than every other club in Scotland combined. His, the wage bill at Rangers was more than every other club club in Scotland combined bar Celtic. And I don't just mean every other club in the Premiership. I mean every other club in Scotland. Um, Gerard spent them to the brink of financial problems. If they hadn't got Champions League this year, they were in serious trouble. Serious trouble. So... While he did a good job, he won the league. His title win came in large part because the the end of the Celtic cycle. Now, to go unbeaten is impressive. But, like, let's be really honest about this. Rangers are a mid-table championship team. Celtic are a championship team. The rest of the Scottish Premiership would be League One and probably struggling in League One like bottom half of League One. If you took a team from the championship right now who's sitting in mid-table, let's take Sunderland. They're a big club. Let's take Sunderland. Let's give them a high-end championship budget, which is what Rangers had, a high-end championship budget for wages and players. And let's dump them into League One as is. They would walk through the league. You could do it with anyone. Do it with Bristol. Do it with Reading. Do it with Watford or Stoke. You put any of them teams into League One, they would walk through. And if they only had to play the bottom half of League One over and over again, they would walk that league. Now, they might not go unbeaten because that is uh, that is an achievement, but winning the league... I'm sorry, it's it's not. Gerrard didn't get the job at Villa because he won the league with Rangers. He got the job at Villa because his name is Stephen Gerrard and because Christian Perslow is a Stephen Gerrard fanboy. Um, in the same way, Brendan Rodgers didn't get the Leicester job because of what he did at Celtic. And Rodgers, let's bear in mind, did much better at Celtic than Gerrard did at Rangers. But Rodgers got the Leicester job because of what he'd done at Swansea and at Liverpool. Neil Lennon won multiple league titles in Scotland, couldn't get a Premier League job. He got a job with Bolton, who were like, I think, sixth from bottom of the championship at the time. Winning something in Scotland now doesn't get you a Premier League job because the calibre of that league is so low. So I said yesterday, the best thing Stevie can do now is take a few months off, lick his wounds, get his head right, put his ego aside and go for the next decent championship or league one job that comes up. Like there's a fair chance 
Cardiff or Hull might change manager this season again. There's a fair chance Coventry might look to do it. That's the sort of job Gerard needs to go and take and learn. He needs to go and learn how to be a manager. He's got his backroom staff. If Critchley and McAllister are happy to stay with him, then he's got them to bring. A number of other staff at Villa have left with him today. So he can walk into a job prepared. But he needs to take a step back. You're not getting the Liverpool job when Jurgen Klopp leaves. He he never was getting that job. Never. FSG were not going to go down that route. They've already made the mistake once of going for the club legend, of bowing to the demands of the fans when they gave it to Kenny on a permanent basis. Kenny was only ever meant to be for six months. They gave it to him permanently and it turned out to be a, a mistake. And it was a costly mistake. They won't go the same way with Gerard. If Gerard wants to be Liverpool manager, he probably needs to have two, if not three jobs between now and then that are all successful. Let's say he goes to a good League One team and gets them up stabilizes them in that division and then moves on and he gets a job at one of the top championship sides and he gets them up and he keeps them in the Premier League for a couple of years. He plays good football. We see evidence of a really strong tactical approach. We see good in-game management. We see a willingness to promote youth. We see an ability to develop players, which we haven't seen so far at Villa. Jacob Ramsey's a new player that's improved there and given his age, you'd put a lot of that down to just natural progression. We need to see these things from Gerard, And you see, once he's done that and he's, say, established, I don't know, whoever. Like, let's say, as a rough example, that what Gerard does, let's just say he gets the Bristol City job. Let's say it comes up and he goes to Bristol and he gets them promoted. Let's say it takes him the rest of this. Let's say he gets it in February, manages them to the end of the season, and the next season he gets them promoted. And then he spends two years there, keeping them in the division, impressing, doing a similar job to what Thomas Frank is currently doing at Brentford. Then he would need to go and look at a step up from that. So that could be a West Ham a Leicester, a Wolves, clubs around that same level as Villa. Mid-table looking to break into the Europa League, Europa Conference League positions. And let's say he goes there and has success in terms of getting them into Europe and having a decent run in Europe while maintaining a top-half status. Then I think he's one job away then I think he'd need to maybe look abroad and go to, I don't know, maybe go to Portugal, manage Porto, Benfica, get used to running a big, big club with title expectations, win a title in one of the big six leagues. Or, you know, if it was Germany or wherever, challenge for that title and show you can do it at the very highest level. Show you can do it in the Champions League. 
And then he would be ready to become Liverpool manager. But that would be three and a half years-ish at Bristol, three years-ish at, let's say, West Ham, Leicester, Leicester, say. Because I don't know that he'd want to go and live and work in London. But let's say three years at Leicester, and then maybe two years with a Porto or with Borussia Dortmund or Borussia Mönchengladbach, somebody like that. And then perhaps he would be ready to manage Liverpool. But that's the standard he's going to need to be at. Because right now there are dozens upon dozens of managers more qualified to manage Liverpool than Steven Gerrard. Because when it comes time to assess his candidacy to be Liverpool manager, his name being Steven Gerrard should not play any little factor in it. Him being the recently fired manager of Aston Villa should be a much bigger factor. But if he's the recent manager of Bristol, Leicester and Porto, who's had this success, who's levelled up at each job, who's shown a defined way of playing, who's shown a maturity in dealing with the press, who's shown a connection with the fans, because Villa fans, by the way, have nothing good to say about him, then, and only then, should he be considered for the job. Simple as that. Have a read through the rest of this is Anfield and Liverpool.com and then take yourself over to AnfieldIndex.com where there are a couple of new podcasts. Like I mentioned, there is that scouted. I hope Rivalry Con is coming today. If not, Harry's obviously had a scheduling conflict. There is a new Molby on the spot, but it is Jim Boardman sitting in for the ailing Trev Downey. Uh, Trev's back is playing up so do send him your best wishes on social media and there is a new article up by the new lead columnist for AnfieldIndex.com the one and the only Tony Evans former football editor of the Times one of the most respected journalists in the UK Tony Evans is going to be writing a weekly piece on AnfieldIndex.com and appearing on podcasts. Uh, We're absolutely delighted to have Tony on board. It's quite the coup, I think you'll agree, uh, to have landed him. So we're very, very happy about this. Uh, Anfield Index, the the ownership that we have here, showing lots of ambition. There's a John Henry joke there, but I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. I'm going to say... Up the Reds, three points tomorrow, and I'll see you Monday. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. 
Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.